Alright. Well, guys, you can open up to Galatians chapter 5. You guys enjoyed the. That's not a best way of saying it. Let's just say, have you felt edified by our time in Galatians? You feel like you're starting to get what he's talking about here? It's kind of repetitive, right? Okay, so he's harping on this same theme over and over and over. And today, we're in Galatians 5, and we're really getting to the climax of the letter. Okay, so. The point that Paul has been driving towards all throughout the letter is in Galatians chapter 5. So just a reminder, we've called this a slave's guide to the free life, okay? And so Paul has talked a lot about slavery, and what's he talking about being slaves to? What are the Galatians being put into slavery to? Yeah. They're getting enslaved by the law, right? So they're getting enslaved by the law, and how are they getting enslaved by the law? What's the connection between slavery and the law? Okay, so the false teachers are teaching them something about the law that's enslaving them. And what are the false teachers teaching them about the law? Please, yeah. Um, they're teaching them that Christ, um, Christ is not enough. You have to do like works in the law, such as circumcision and doing Jews' practice. Exactly, right? So for them to really get what it means to be a child of God, they need to follow Jesus and do the works of the law, right? And one of those things is circumcision. That's actually the biggest thing because it's the mark of the Jewish people, right? So God taught Moses thousands of years before that they were to circumcise all their boy babies, okay? And that that was the mark of being part of God's people. And so now these false teachers are saying, oh yeah, you are God's people so long as you do these things that make you look Jewish and act Jewish and, and do what the law says, okay? So we're going to talk today about Christian freedom. What do you think is meant by Christian freedom? How is Christian freedom different than other types of freedom? Any thoughts? Do you feel free as a Christian? How? How are you free? Just for the sake of the podcast, there are people in this room. It's not just me. They, they don't know. They can't see you. And, and you're so quiet. Yes? Free from sin. Okay. What do you mean free from sin? Like, like you just, you're not sinning anymore? You're done with that? Well, no. Like it doesn't count against us. Okay. So it doesn't count against us anymore. Right. Very good. Yeah? We're not um, when we're free like from other beliefs that we have. We have the freedom of speaking one-on-one with our God without fear. Okay. Yeah, so that relationship is open up. Do you think anyone might be confused by the term Christian freedom? Like if you were to tell your friends like about Christian freedom, do you think that might sound weird to them from the outside? And why? Why would that sound weird? Because we can't just do whatever we want to do. Like we have to follow these strict rules and we don't believe. Yeah, so like freedom, a lot of people when they hear the word freedom, they think free, you're free to do whatever you want, right? But Christians aren't free to do whatever they want, are they? So that doesn't look like freedom. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Why would, why would someone from the outside look at Christians and think, those people aren't free? 
Well, stay tuned. We'll, we'll talk about it, okay? All right. Well, today, um, this is, I know that you guys are quiet, and that's fine. It's fine to be quiet. It's fine to be tired. But this is a dynamite-packed passage that has awesome stuff in it. So hold on to your seats, okay? Because this is really, really, really good stuff. Alec is the only one who listened to me. Wow. The rest of you just sat there. All right, so we're going to jump into it. Okay, so point number one is, well, there's all the points. Um, point number one is Christian freedom, okay? So look in your Bible at verse one. Here we go. Let's jump in. Paul says in chapter five of Galatians, verse one, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Now that seems kind of redundant, doesn't it? For freedom, Christ has set us free. So why is Paul having to say this? Well, he's having to say this because... Yeah, Christ set us free, but we walk around in lives of slavery. And we need to be reminded that when you became a Christian, it was to liberate you. It was to make you free. So why do you keep living like a slave? So he says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Okay? Now, you guys know what a yoke is? Yoke is that thing that goes across like the necks of two oxen and they're pulling the plows in the fields, okay? And it, they even used it for slaves in some parts of the world, okay? Slaves have a yoke on their necks to keep them um, submissive and in line, right? And so Paul is saying, for freedom, Christ has saved you. You've been set free so that you can be free. So, I mean, the image that comes to mind is, you know, on the Nature Channel, when they bring these animals out into the wild that have been rescued and they've been in captivity... And, and they take them out in their crates, right? And they open the crate. And the thing doesn't just bolt out, right? It just it kind of sits in there and it's looking around like, what's going on here? And that's the image that I have. Like, the crate is open. You've been set free and it's for freedom. Get out of the crate. Go, run, free, be free, right? And so this is what our life as Christians are to be. So the Galatians, Paul's reminding them, you've been set free from slavery, now, the slavery that they've been set free from is slavery to idolatry, slavery to paganism, to living a life apart from God, right? Living a life where they just give in to their sin, they don't resist, okay? And such were some of you, okay? You can think back maybe to your life when you lived that way. Maybe you're still in that stage. You're surrounded by people who live that way. And so Paul says to them, you have been freed from that slavery, so don't go back to slavery. Now that's kind of funny because the false teachers weren't telling them to go back to paganism, were they? They weren't telling them to go back to just do whatever you want lifestyle. They're telling them to go to the law. So Paul is saying, you were slaves when you were doing whatever you wanted. Don't go back to slavery by obeying the law. Okay, the law is <coughs> obeying the law as a means to salvation. Okay, so both are slavery. Instead, stand firm in your freedom. Stand firm in your freedom. So the big question for us today should be, how do we do that, right? It's so easy to read the Bible, isn't it? Sometimes we read the Bible and we're like, oh, that sounds so good. And then we never ask, well, how do I actually do that? That's a good question for us to ask. That's what we should be asking as we read our Bible. So how do we stand firm in Christian freedom? Well, look at verses 2 through 6. Paul says, look, I get the picture that Paul's leveling with them here. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. So what he's saying is if you accept what these false teachers are saying, that all the men in the church have to go and get circumcised to be part of God's kingdom, Christ 
and all that he represents, salvation, death for your sins, it'll be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. This is going back to chapter 3. Paul said, don't you remember? If you're going to live by one part of the law, if you're going to try to be saved by the law, you have to keep the whole thing. And you can't do that. Okay, so if you're going to accept circumcision, you have to, you're obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. Guys, this is really serious stuff, right? He's talking to the church and he's telling them, if you agree with what these false teachers are teaching you, you are cutting yourself off from Christ. You are no longer Christians. You who would be justified by the law, so you who are seeking to be saved by following the law, you have fallen away from grace. Wow. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So what Paul is saying here is this. He says, remember my former argument. If you try to be saved by the law, if you try to be saved by just being good, by going to church, by not cussing, by not getting detentions, by getting A's, if you're trying to get saved, if you think even for a second that any of those things are going to save you, then you are cutting yourself off from Christ. You can't rely on God's grace to save you and rely on your own works to save you. Does that make sense? Right? It's like you can't get to Atlanta by car and by airplane. <coughs> okay, I guess there's airplanes that you can drive a car in so you could sit your car in the airplane. But that, that's, all right, you can't get there that way. And so you can't get to heaven by saying, God has saved me purely by grace, and then I helped a little bit on the side by all the good things I was doing. <coughs> Do you see how that doesn't really make any sense? You're either saved by grace, which means you did, grace means saved by nothing that you did, only by God's love and grace for you, or you're saved by what you do. It's one or the other. You can't have both. So that's what Paul's argument is here. He's saying you can't rely on God's grace to save you and your works to save you at the same time. And so if you're relying on your works, well, that just means you've rejected grace. And if you've rejected grace, then you've been cut off from Christ. You're cutting yourself off from Jesus. And what this all boils down to is this phrase, Jesus plus anything equals nothing. If you try to add anything to Jesus to get salvation, you, you're left with nothing, okay? Because you can't add anything to grace. If you try to add your works or good deeds or helping the old lady cross the street or getting good grades or never getting a detention, any of those things added to grace is no longer grace. It's grace and works, and you can't have grace in that situation. So what this means is if I were to ask you, how do you know you're going to go to heaven? If you were to say, well, because I follow Jesus and I go to church, or because I follow Jesus and my family is Christians, or because I follow Jesus and I've never really murdered anyone or stolen or I didn't have sex before marriage, or I, I follow Jesus plus I've gone on a bunch of missions trips, or I follow Jesus and I go to a Christian school, or I follow Jesus and I lead the Christian club at my school, if any of those are your answers, then Christ is of no advantage to you. He can't help you. You're on your own. 
because you're choosing to try to add your works to grace. You're cut off. So we really, really need to be beware of legalism, don't we? I mean, think about this group and, and how easy it is for us to stri stray into legalism, right? How easy is it for our hearts to stray into legalism? And so we should be really careful that we not let ourselves or let one another stray into legalistic mindsets. It shows that we don't understand the gospel. But if I were to ask you, how do you know you will go to heaven? The only acceptable answer is this. Because Jesus loved me enough to die for my sin, and I have placed my faith in him. By grace alone, I have been saved. Now, when you guys talk to your friends about Christianity at school, is that the first answer that comes to mind? It should be. But that's not usually what they want to hear, right? Like that, that, for the world, that just sounds weird, that that's your answer. Like, really? You're just grace? Like, what about all your church and all that stuff? And you're wearing a cross and all that doesn't mean anything? No, it really doesn't. It means nothing as far as getting saved is concerned. Jesus is to be our only hope. And we should know that it's only because of his love for us and his sacrifice that we're saved. So the question is, how do we stand firm in this Christian freedom? How do we keep from being legalistic? How do we stop ourselves from trusting in our own works, which our hearts are so prone to do. We're so prone to say, well, God loves me more because I've done this, or God loved me less because I've done this. But we have to understand the meaning of verse six. So look at verse six. Adam, can you read that for us? For in Christ Jesus, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, you're counseling, but only faith working through us. Okay. So neither uncircumcision nor circumcision means anything, all right? So what he's saying here is neither the amount of good stuff you've done nor the amount of bad stuff you've done means anything when it comes to your salvation. Think about that. Your actions, whether good or bad, don't make you any more or any less savable for God. That's one of the most offensive things about Christianity, that people say, you're telling me that I could murder tons of people, rape people, you know, do all this stuff, and then on my deathbed accept Christ and be forgiven? Yes! The answer is yes! And that's offensive. But who is it offensive to? It's offensive to the people who think that all the stuff they're doing is what's going to save them, right? So it offends us when we're legalistic, but when we really understand grace, when we understand that nothing bad can keep you from being saved, but nothing good can make you extra savable either. Okay, so it's the good people who are offended by that. Because we think that our good performance is what's going to make us right with God. But we need to realize that whether you are good or whether you are bad, which these are all terms that the world would use, the Bible would tell us that we're all bad, right? We all sin. We're all equally imperfect, not a single one of us has gone through life without sinning. We're equally in need of God's grace, and we're equally able to be saved. No one has the deck stacked against them. Everyone is equally able to be saved by the grace that comes through Jesus Christ. So what does this look like in real life? Okay? Let's say that you tell a lie. Or let's say you look at pornography, or let's say you steal from the grocery store, um, or let's say you have sex before you're married. 
what it looks like to apply this freedom in real time is that you don't go into despair. You don't punish yourself. You don't go into a deep and dark depression that no amount of you know, gospel grace can pull you out of. You don't become hopeless. You don't get angry at yourself. And you don't spend your days repenting of that sin over and over and over and over and over. Now, how many of you have done one of those things? You don't have to raise your hand. I know I've done them. I know that that's how I respond to my sin. And that's the temptation. But the reality is all of these responses suggest that you think that your actions are what save you, right? If your actions are what save you and you mess up, then yeah, you should go into despair because who knows, you may have just given up eternal salvation. If your actions are what save you, if not having sex before marriage saves you and you do, well, yeah, it is pretty hopeless now. But if that's not what saves you, then you should experience a certain level of Christian freedom, okay? All of these are forms of slavery, okay? You're putting yourself in slavery by getting depressed and becoming hopeless and getting angry at yourself and repenting over and over and over. Those are all forms of showing you're in slavery because you think that your actions are what save you. But what Christian freedom does is it is deeply grieved by sin. Don't get me wrong, okay? I'm not saying sin is just like, it's not a big deal. You are deeply grieved by your sins. You recognize the sinfulness of sin. That, that God sent his son to die for you. He gave his life for you. Your body is not your own. You've been bought with a price. You serve a holy God who has given you a perfect example of how you should live. You have no excuse, right? So there should be an acknowledgement of how sinful and wrong it is after all that God has done for you that you would sin against him. But then you repent once. You trust in the gospel that Jesus loved you enough that when Jesus died for your sin, he really meant it. It really worked. You just need to repent of your sin. And then you trust and seek God to help you to change, right? Because that's the other half of repentance. Repentance is confession, but it's also a turning away from sin. So you repent by confessing your sin and then you say, God, help me to change. Help me to not go back there. That's what Christian freedom looks like. And then you do. This is a crazy part because for us as humans, we don't think that you can really do that, right? If you don't go around hanging your head for a few days, then you must not really get it. If you don't go around you know, really torn up by your sin, then you, you don't really get it. But it's the complete opposite. If you walk around torn up by your sin all the time, it shows that you don't understand grace. You don't understand Christian freedom. You don't understand the gospel. The gospel is such that when you repent of that sin, you're free. And you can go on living your life following God and trusting in him to help you change. Isn't that amazing? Right? We don't really live that way, do we? I mean, it's, that's really amazing. Imagine what life would look like if we lived that way. Well, on the flip side, what if you don't sin? Let's say that you're the person who never lies. 
You, you, you know, you've never been sent to the principal's office, right? You're, you're the favorite child, you know, your brothers and sisters are getting, you know, grounded left and right, and you don't really cause any problems. And you start to trust in that a little bit. What this is telling us is Christian freedom says, you don't say, well, God must really love me now. I must really be acceptable to God now because of all the good stuff I've done. Because this is another form of slavery. This is slavery to the law. So the only proper response, the only thing that leads to freedom is to continually, whether you're doing good or whether you're doing bad, recognize that I am a sinner saved by grace. But God loved me enough to come and save me by grace, right? So I'm a sinner. God loved me to save me by grace. And yeah, Satan, Satan just can't get a grip on people like that, right? Satan wants to take the person who's sinning and get them all depressed and upset. Satan wants to take the person who's doing really good and get them all puffed up with pride and relying on himself. But if, whether you're sinning or not sinning, you say, I'm saved by grace, I'm a sinner saved by grace, Satan just can't get a hold on you. Okay, so third point, a passion for Christian freedom. So let's look at the next paragraph. Are there any questions on that last part? Is that exciting to you? hope so. All right. Um, you were running well, Paul says in verse 7. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? So he's calling attention to the Galatian church. You guys were doing good, but who's hindered you? This persuasion, this idea that you're saved by the law is not from him who calls you, who called them to their salvation. Ultimately, it's God, right? So he's saying, this is not from God. He says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. In other words, this bad thinking that's come from the false teachers is going through everything that you're doing and throughout the church. And he says, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In other words, it, it seems like the false teachers had said, you need to get circumcised and Paul's on our side. Paul agrees with us, right? He says, if I'm saying that, if I'm saying you need to be circumcised, why am I still being persecuted? Right? The only reason you'd say that is to get people to stop persecuting you. So it's obviously not what Paul is saying. He says, in that case, the offense, the cross would be removed. And here's the end. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. This is a verse that we don't really throw in the Awana memory verse section. Okay. What he's saying is, is he's saying, for those who are coming to your church and telling all the men that they need to go and take a knife and be circumcised, I wish that they would take that knife and just cut it all off, cut off their own manhood. That's what he's saying about these false teachers, right? So that's pretty strong language, okay? So we have to think about what, how do we handle that? Well, well first of all, it shows us that Paul's not just arguing a theological point here. Paul's not just like, well, they say that Christian freedom is this, but actually it's this. No. He's passionate about it, right? Because he wants the church to live in it. Just like, I mean, I feel the same way about you guys, okay? And about myself, that this, this Christian freedom is so powerful and wonderful that anyone who would want to take that away from you, I wish that they would just be cut off from you and, and separated from you. And leave you alone. I had um, an experience yesterday where that came up. Okay, so yesterday we get a ring at the door and 
uh, a nice lady and her daughter walk in and they show us a YouTube video and, and they're Jehovah's Witnesses, okay? And that's fine. Um, they're welcome in our home. And, and so we talk to them for a little bit. And, you know, I had a passion for this lady to, to know the truth and to know where she was mistaken. But another thing that I was experiencing at that moment was I was experiencing anger at the fact that here they were on my street. Because, Angel, we've been praying for our street, right? At Halloween, you know, I'm not a big fan of Halloween. And you, I've told you guys that. And my kids know that. Um, but we celebrate Halloween as an opportunity for us to go and get to know our neighbors so that a door would be open for the gospel. And so on Halloween, we hit the whole north end of the block, right? We would hit every single neighbor's house. And, you know, they come and they would want to, like, just throw the candy and shut the door. And we'd, like, stick our foot in the door and be like, hey, my name's Nick, you know? And because the whole point was, you know, we're not here just to loot the candy. We're here to get to know you so that we can be a light to you in our neighborhood, okay? And this last Tuesday, we had caroling with the church, okay? So we went out Christmas caroling. And we took, you know, we were in charge of our neighborhood, and we could have gone to any street in our neighborhood, but no, we went to our street because we want to know. So we hit the south side of the block. So we, all the people we missed on Halloween, we went to all their houses, okay? And, and each house, hey, my name's Nick, my name's Angel, we live four houses down from you. We go to this church, we'd love to get to know you, right? And four days later, what happens? But a group of Jehovah's Witnesses shows up on our street, going door to door down our street. It made me angry. And it should make us angry. Because here's what Jehovah's Witnesses believe saved you. Okay? This, is, this is from their own publication. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that you are saved by belief, uh, which involves taking an accurate knowledge of God's purposes and his way of salvation. Then faith has to be exercised in Jesus Christ. Sounds good, right? As the chief agent of salvation. Problem is they don't believe Jesus is God, but we'll skip that for now. This places the Christian in a saved condition. But, you know, there's a problem already, right? This places the Christian in a saved condition, but, there are no buts. He must now persevere in doing God's will and continue to adhere to all of God's requirements and the rest, for the rest of his life. That's crazy talk! Are you a human? I have to, do you follow all of God's requirements, Right? This is slavery. This is slavery. And they're walking up and down my street, knocking on doors of the doors that I just went to, advocating slavery in the name of Christ. And that should make us angry. We should share Paul's passion for freedom. We live in a day and age when we're told that all ways lead to heaven, right? We're told that it's offensive to say that you have the right way and the other ways are wrong. We should share Paul's passion because we should recognize that there is only one religion that says you are saved purely by God's grace and has nothing to do with what you've done. And that is the way of Christ. And every other religion and every other philosophy and way of thinking about the world is advocating slavery. Can you imagine walking into a house full of slaves and having the key that could set each one of them free and just saying, well, actually, we're all doing just fine. Everyone's way is, is fine. How heartless would you have to be, right? 
We have the one way that does not lead to slavery. We should share Paul's passion to set slaves free and to see them live in Christian freedom. So let's, last point, one guardrail for Christian freedom. You guys know what a guardrail is? You're driving down the road, there's the things on either side of the road. They're bumpers, right? Right. If you've got a really cheap car, they're just bumpers, really. You just go bump, 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 just kind of stuff. Guys, never mind. Oh. YouTube video recently going around on Facebook. Don't advocate it. Two women get in a fight. They use their cars as battering rams to complete the fight. It, unreal. I don't know, I'm laughing out loud in my office. It was, it was pretty bad. I mean, literally getting in cars and hitting each other with their cars over and over and over. No, they were both in cars, just bonk, like, bonk, bonk. and then the one who finally ended it and left, she hit the fire hydrant on her way out and like geysers shooting up in the air. It's incredibly sad that that's the response, um, the anger and the fighting. But it's, it's very watchable. Okay, moving on. Guardrails. <laughs> so the human reaction to hearing that God doesn't save us based on anything we do is what? What's going to be the human reaction? I can do whatever I want. Right? That's, that's the main thing. Like, Christians, so you're a Christian, so you can do whatever you want, right? Because God will just forgive you. You guys ever heard that before? Right? So Paul gives us a nice little guardrail here. Verses 13 and 14, he says this. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only, here's the guardrail, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. All right, so my history teacher when I was in high school would tell a story about when he was a teenager, he's Catholic, he would go in to the priest, he would do his confessions, you know, here's all my sins, he'd be forgiven by the priest, and then he'd go out, and on his way out of the church, he'd check the board for all the movies that the teenagers were forbidden to watch and go watch them, right? And then come back the next week and, and repent and get his forgiveness and go do the same thing. And a lot of people think that that's what Christianity is, but Paul's saying here, only, my one exception is this, don't use your freedom to sin. Christ didn't free you so that you could say, well, I guess as a Christian now I can just look at pornography and I can just lie and I can have sex before marriage. No, don't use your freedom to sin. Rather, use your freedom to love other people. And how do we love other people? But by obeying God and letting them see what a life of obedience looks like. You know, it's crazy. Paul is harping on the law this whole time, right? And do you notice what he quotes here? Verse 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Paul's saying, you're not saved by the law, you're not saved by the law, you're not saved by the law, and by the way, the law tells us you should love your neighbor. What's Paul doing here? Well, Paul is showing us the proper response where, no, we do not depend on the law for salvation. We depend on grace for salvation. But once we're saved, we're freed to obey the law, right? So long as we're not depending on the law to save us, the law shows us God's heart. It shows us what pleases him. It shows him what brings him joy. And if God had loved us so much that he gave his son to die for us, then wouldn't we want to do what he wants us to do? If we really got 
that we are free? Wouldn't we want to obey him and follow him because he's done this for us? And that's exactly what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that our freedom, Christian freedom, should lead us to obedience. It should lead us to following God and not to disobeying God. So earlier we said, when you lie, we shouldn't say, I'm less savable. When you don't lie, we shouldn't say, I'm more savable. And when you're tempted to lie, you shouldn't say, well, I can do whatever I want because I'm a Christian. God will still save me. No, we should say, I long to follow this God who loved me enough to save me. Well, let's end. Um, I want to give you one application point because I know you guys and anything more than one is just going to blow your minds, okay? So we're going to stick with one. That was a joke. They're laughing. You can't hear it. <clears throat> I've heard teenage years be described as the time when the highs are extremely high and the lows are extremely low. I wonder if you can relate with that. Sounds like sign. Sounds like what? Sign, like a bunch of little waves. Yeah, exactly, right? So you got the wave, right, exactly. That's exactly how it is. I know that for me, that was my experience, Okay. Can the older people in the room confirm that that, would you say that's yes? Okay. And, and one of the, are you shaking your head? You just being difficult back there. So, oh, oh. Right. That was my experience. And, and my philosophy is this. You haven't experienced as much life as someone who's in their 20s, 30s, 40s. Right. And so when you hit a high, it really is the highest you've gotten. Okay. And, and the lows can be the lowest you've gotten in your life. And so for me, the highs would be like, soccer tournaments, traveling, you know, to San Diego with my friends for soccer tournament, youth retreats, um, going on family vacations, and I'd just be like, oh, ecstatic, but, you know, that we've got to do this. I, I see it in some of your eyes when we were talking about Slovenia and going to Slovenia this next year, right? Like, I can't wait for Slovenia to come, right? This is the highest high, but then the lows are also really, really low. When you blow it, when you mess up, when things aren't going right... I struggled with depression as a high school student and a middle school student. I would go into these funks that would take me a week to get out of. Okay? And, and so the highs can be really high and the lows can be really low. And what I want to point your attention to is the truth of this message today can help you to stay grounded and balanced in the midst of these high highs and these low lows. Okay? Because... At your highest point, you can say, I am a sinner loved by God and saved by grace. So at your highest highs, you acknowledge that no matter how good it is, I'm still a sinner and I've been saved by grace. And I can thank God for these highs. This is, I don't deserve to have this good of a life. I don't deserve to have such highs. And at your lowest lows, you can say, I am a sinner loved by God, and saved by grace. So you don't have to be hopeless. You don't have to go into despair and into depression. You can, you can have hope in the midst of the lowest lows. And always we should remember Romans 8.28, which says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Okay, All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So this truth that we're saved by grace and not by anything we do can help us to stay grounded and balanced in the midst of the high highs and the low lows of the Christian life.
And I want to encourage you with that because the, I, I feel, yeah, let's end with that. Encourage you with that. Any questions? Any thoughts? Good. Let's go ahead and pray. I'm not going to prolong this. <laughs> Our Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this word, this truth, this powerful truth. And God, you know that I am just taking baby steps in it, just beginning to grasp it. And my prayer would be that you would allow these students the ability at this stage of life to grasp this truth for what it is and to go about the hard work of applying it day in and day out. And I pray that as they apply it, that they would find that it causes them to stand firm in the freedom that you bought for them. Help them to not return to a yoke of slavery. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys.